You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 336, A Closer Look at John's Gospel. Now, if you've been following the podcast for a while, you know that periodically I talk about the Gospels. I've discussed them all at some point, sometimes multiple times. In fact, the, the last episode, I just said this is episode 336, and episode 303, we actually did a bit of an introduction to John's Gospel. We talked about the author who's writing to the basic themes um, if you remember, John is, 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 is built around seven signs or, or miracles and also seven I am sayings. So I don't want to rehash that, but if you want some more um, introductory, introductory information on John, go back and listen to episode 303. And you can also probably pop into the search engine, Gospel of John, and might even find a couple more. But today I wanted to um, jump back into John and discuss a few other things that maybe I haven't talked about before. Um, I want to do maybe a little bit of a deeper dive and talk about some of the things that pop up in John, some of the things that make it unique. Remember, John is is different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're the synoptic gospels. They have the same <clears throat> basic point of view. They uh, Matthew and Luke both um, used Mark's gospel as the starting point for their own. And then they, they, they built around that. John, however, was written much later, and um, he, he, he wrote a very different kind of gospel. So I want to uh, get into that. So in just a minute, we're going to discuss four um, you know, important things to take us a little bit deeper in John's gospel. Before we do that, though, I want to let you know this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, New Testament Snapshots. If you haven't read New Testament Snapshots, I encourage you to click on the link, go to Amazon, read the first chapter or so for free. I'm not sure how much they let you read, but it's quite a bit. And you can get a feel for it. I think you'll really enjoy it. I hope you'll click on the buy button. This will be a great Christmas present as we move into that season. You can check out my other resources as well. But by all means, check out New Testament Snapshots. It's a a book about 12 of the lesser-known characters of the New Testament um, that, that... you know, we get enough information about that if you're willing to dig, you can get a pretty good picture, pretty good idea of who they are. But these aren't, um, all of these folks aren't people that uh, are, are, are everyday um, saints that we talk about. Um, you might not even hear about, heard of some of these folks before. So check it out. I think you'll enjoy it and you'll see the significant role that these guys and girls played in the New Testament. All right, well, we're back to John. The first thing I want to talk about is, number one, is the prologue. This is something that, that really <clears throat> kind of sets John apart from uh, the other Gospels. Um, it could be argued that Luke has a prologue, but it's very short if he does, um, introducing who he was writing to. Uh, Matthew and Luke both have genealogies. Mark doesn't, and there's no prologue in Mark. Mark just starts 
pretty much right right with the action in chapter 1, verse 1. Um, but John gives us this, this 18 verse, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, this 18 verse prologue that really uh, kind of set the stage for his gospel. Uh, the theme of John's gospel is Jesus the Son of God, or Jesus is the Son of God. And, and that's the theme that comes through the entire book, but it's in this prologue that we first begin to get the hint that that's where he's going to go. Listen to the first uh, five verses of John's gospel. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, John very, very intentionally here um, makes reference to the very beginning, Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, here, John, uh, again, very intentionally, takes us back to the very beginning. Here he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he talks about the fact that, that, that all things were made through him. In other words, through Jesus. And without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. So this very deliberate um, move by John to show us the fact that Jesus is eternal. This is so, so important um, as we move through his gospel. Remember, John's gospel was written much later towards the end of the first century. And one of the, the things that the church was dealing with at that time was a heresy called Gnosticism. This heresy called Gnosticism uh, believed a number of different things and, and had a number of different uh, manifestations. But one of the things that they believed was that um, Jesus was not... God in the flesh. They, they essentially believed that um, Jesus was a man chosen by God and he put his spirit on this man. And at the, the moment of Jesus's death, God left him. And this is not what the scriptures teach. This is not what John teaches. In fact, in the prologue here in chapter 1 verse 14, to, to dispel this, this, this heresy, listen to what John says, and the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, so John is making it very clear that Jesus was God in the flesh. So we, we get this picture from John at the very beginning. He's setting up, he's setting the stage in his gospel to show us that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And in this verse, the word became flesh and dwelt among us is very significant because, first of all, the word for flesh that he uses is, is this picture, this, this idea of, of, of flesh that an animal would chew on. In other words, actual flesh and bone. Not just the appearance of a man. Um, one outworking of Gnosticism said um, that Jesus just looked like a man. In other words, he was like an apparition, but... He was a, it was a good apparition because the, uh, the folks believed that he was actually there in the flesh. But John's saying, no, no, there was no apparition. This was a flesh and blood man 
um, all God and all man. But he also says here in verse 14 that he dwelt among us. And this is an interesting word because this takes us back to the Old Testament as well because the, the literal translation here is, uh, when it says dwelt among us, is it's, and the word became flesh and, and tabernacled among us. Or, or God pitched his tent among us. And it's this picture of um, what we see in Exodus, this, this picture of the tabernacle being in the center of the people. Remember, it was very specific how the tabernacle was set up and where it was placed. And the uh, children of Israel, um, during their time in the desert, camped around the tabernacle. And so here John's saying, the word became flesh and pitched his tent in the middle of us. So again, it's taking us back to the Old Testament. It's taking us back to Exodus, showing that uh, whereas God lived in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle in in the Old Testament or in the temple in the Holy of Holies, um, in the Ark of the Covenant in, in the temple in the Holy of Holies, um, here he's saying that God lived in Jesus. Jesus was the new temple. He was, he was where God, um, God's presence would dwell while he was on the earth. So very, very powerful. Um, this, this prologue um, gives us some other very, very interesting things. It says in verse 12, All who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but God. In other words, we can't earn our salvation. We can't work for it. It's a work of the Spirit, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. Um, And then the last two verses of the prologue says this, For the law was given through, through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he or Jesus has made him known. In other words, Jesus came to make known God. Um, he came to put a face on God. He came to show us what God was really like. So this prologue that John gave, and then after after the prologue, after verse eighteen, verse nineteen, it goes right into the gospel, talking about John the Baptist, and then the calling of the disciples, and moving right on into the gospel, but this prologue really sets the stage. And if you've never spent any time there, I just say over the next couple of days, open up John and just meditate on these 18 verses because they're very powerful, very helpful. And, um, you know, we talk about uh, Matthew and Luke having a genealogy. Uh, Matthew's genealogy takes us back to to Abraham. Uh, Luke's genealogy takes us back to Adam. But if we would call the prologue, if we said that this was uh, John's genealogy, it takes us back to eternity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that's number one. Number two, number two. One of the interesting things that John uh, shows us and portrays over and over again is this idea of, of divisions in unbelief among the people. The fact that Jesus himself, his presence, caused divisions and forced people to make a choice, to believe or not to believe. One of the themes of John's gospel is that of faith, that of belief, that of um, uh, actually putting your trust in Jesus. And that's what you see in the gospel. But what you see is this also this picture of people being forced to make a choice. 
Um, am I going to believe him or am I not, not going to believe him? Let me give you a couple of examples. Chapter 7, verse 5. Um, it says that not even his brothers believed in him. You imagine you've grown up with Jesus and maybe that's the problem. You, 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 you're actually too close. But it says even his own brothers didn't believe him. Now we know later they did. First chapter of Acts makes that clear. His brother James um, you know, became a leader in the early church. His brother Jude wrote that small book right before Revelation. But his own brothers didn't believe him. In chapter um, 7, verse 43, it says there was a division among the people over him. A division you know, among the people over him. You know, you see um, in chapter 9, says it again. Uh, he's healed the man, the, the blind man, and um, some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God, he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So even the religious leaders, there was a division. Chapter 10, uh, verse 19, it says, there was again a division among the Jews because of his words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of the one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So there's again this division. Now, why is this important? Well, it, it really shows that things haven't changed in 2,000 years because there's still this division uh, uh, over Jesus. If there wasn't one, then everyone would, would, would be saved. Um, but but there's this, this idea um, among people, if you were to ask people, who, who, who is Jesus? Well, you know, he was a good guy. He was a, he was a martyr. He was a prophet. He was a nice teacher. He was a pacifist. He, you, there, there's so many things that people might say about Jesus, but most of them are wrong. Unless they've had an encounter with Jesus, um, you know, there's, they're, they're, they're probably um, going to have the, the wrong opinion of who he is. And I always think it's fascinating in chapter 11, the, uh, the culminating sign uh, before we move to the arrest and resurrection of Jesus. You see Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. You know the story. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Jesus shows up, asks him to open the tomb, and calls Lazarus out of the tomb. But after that miracle, after that miracle, it says this in chapter 11, verse 45, Many of the Jews, therefore who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, in other words, had seen the miracle, had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead, believed in him. So many of the Jews believed in Jesus. But, the next verse, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. This is absolutely fascinating to me because the same two groups of people watched Jesus do a miracle Half of them believed, the other half went and tried to turn him in because of the conflict he was causing. Um, absolutely amazing. You know, I've heard people say, you know, if I just saw a miracle, I'd believe. Well, there's no guarantee in that. There's no guarantee in that because here we see people who saw the miracle and believed and the other people who saw the miracle and went and tried to get Jesus in trouble. So divisions and unbelief. And it hasn't changed. Um, Jesus still divides people. So, we've talked about the, uh, the prologue. We've talked about divisions and unbelief that we see in John's gospel. 
Um, and then also conversations. One of the things that I love about John's gospel are the conversations he has with people. Um, the conversation that he has with his early disciples in chapter 1. The conversation that he has with his mother in chapter 2. The conversation he has with Nicodemus in chapter 3. Probably my favorite of all is the conversation he has with the woman at the well in chapter 4. Amazing conversation. Um, and it's not that the other Gospels don't have conversations. They do. But I think the ones that John gives us, he doesn't give, give us a lot of them, but the ones he gives us, he gives us more detail. He, he, he really uh, frames the conversation in such a way that we really um, catch the heart of Jesus for the person that he's talking to. In fact, I would encourage you, if you want just a, a, a snapshot of this, um, read chapter 3 and chapter 4 of John. Chapter 3, we see Jesus talking to Nicodemus, the great uh, rabbi, um, it, telling the rabbi, Rabbi Nicodemus, how to be born again. They have this great discussion. And then in chapter 4, he's dealing with a, a, a Samaritan woman who's been married five times. She's living with a man now. She's got a whole set of issues, and yet Jesus very gently, very patiently has this conversation with her and draws her to himself. And it's essentially the same conversation he's had with Nicodemus. He's, he's just using different words. Um, in, in John chapter 3, he talks about being born again. In John chapter 4, he talks about drinking of living water. But it's essentially the, the, the need to, to find new life in him. So it's a great, great contrast, great conversation. Chapter 5, Jesus has a great conversation with a man who's, who's lame and he, uh, he brings him to, to a place where, where he gets healed. So over and over again, you see Jesus having these discussions, having these conversations with people to point them, to bring them to faith. He asks them questions. He makes statements. Um, he lets them talk. He listens. Um, he gently corrects them. It's just fascinating to see how Jesus interacted with people, and it provides us with some great examples. You know, when I look at Jesus talking to Nicodemus, when I look at Jesus talking to the woman at the at the well, man, we could learn so much from these conversations and how we relate to the people in our world that might be away from God. So we've talked about the prologue, we've talked about divisions and unbelief, and we've talked about the conversations that Jesus had in John's gospel. Last one, we'll wrap, the, wrap it up with this is the discussions that we find in John on the Holy Spirit. The discussions that we find in John on the Holy Spirit. Now, Luke is commonly considered the... If you're not Pentecostal or charismatic or spirit-filled, don't get mad at me, but Luke is, is commonly referred to as the spirit-filled gospel, the Pentecostal Pentecostal gospel, because it's it's in the gospel of Luke and then obviously in Acts of the Apostles, which he also authored, where we, we, we see so much and we hear so much of Jesus' teaching and we see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But make no mistake, John really focuses on the Holy Spirit as well. Um, even in the very beginning, John the Baptist says in chapter 1, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And in chapter 3, he talks about being born again, and he talks about um, how, how it's 
he says the wind blows where it wishes and you don't know where you hear it sound but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit in chapter 7 jesus talks about the holy spirit he said if anyone thirst let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scripture is said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because jesus had not been glorified so so you see jesus in his ministry it, it, really relying on the holy spirit talking about the holy spirit teaching on the holy spirit but when you move into the last uh, really the last time he's with his disciples before he's arrested. And you see in John 13, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is spending time with his disciples. He's, he's preparing them in chapter 13. You see him washing his disciples' feet. Uh, interesting that John's the only one who gives this story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke decided to omit it. Um, Fascinating choice here, but John John included it, the fact that, that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. But then when you move into 14, 15, and 16, Jesus provides teaching on the Holy Spirit, on who he was and what he would do. Now, I think this was significant for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, it's significant for us, obviously. But I think for John, the reason he did this was... If his gospel was written 30 years after the other gospels, which is what most scholars think, he had 30 years longer to know Jesus through the Spirit. Because not only did John know Jesus face to face, not only were they friends, not only had they hung out, but he had also had, you know, essentially 50 years, 60 years now knowing him through the Holy Spirit. So this is amazing. This is powerful. Um, listen to what he says here in, in chapter 14. He says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Wow, that's, that's, that's very comforting. He said, um, right before that, he said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. In chapter 15, he says this. He says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he will bear witness about me. In chapter 16, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative or his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And, and there's others, but, but, but I think those give us a good example. And I think this last one here will kind of end on this, this idea of the spirit of truth. If there's ever been a time in history when the truth was needed, it's today. Because there's this idea, sadly, even in some churches, that there's there's not a, a real universal truth. I mean, it's kind of your truth and my truth and whatever you want to believe is okay and whatever I want to believe is okay. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so he, he and when he sent the Holy Spirit... 
He sent him as a spirit, as the spirit of truth, who would guide us into all truth. And the church, gosh, like never before, needs to stand up for the truth. We need to do it in love. We need to do it in grace. But we need to stand up for the truth. So, um, we'll wrap it up there. There's, there's so much more. But uh, I think that at least gives us a little bit of a closer look into John's gospel, a little bit of a, a deeper dive into John's gospel, um, discussing the prologue, divisions and unbelief, conversations and discussion on the Holy Spirit. And, and of course, um, after Jesus was resurrected, it said that um, when he appeared to his disciples, remember this that amazing time in the, in, in, in the house, he said he breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Thank God for his Holy Spirit. Thank God that he lives inside of us. Thank, thank God he's the spirit of the truth. And he is the spirit who comes to empower us. Well, I'm going to stop there. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear any questions or comments you have. Please go to davidspell.com. Leave your question or comment so that we can stay in touch and keep the conversation going. While you're at davidspell.com, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter. Check out my resource page. And by all means, let's stay in touch. Well, friends, thanks for being with me. I'll see you next time on Leading and Learning.